0: So, welcome to Deep Dives of the Bible, where we take our time and go deeply into God's Word. I am Father Michael Nasser from St. Nicholas Orthodox Church here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and today we're going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. And this is episode 65 in our discussion on the Gospel of Matthew. We're
1: here with our St. Nicholas family and friends, and happy you have joined us, and let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, one
0: God. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who loves mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of the blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. Without the illumination of our souls and bodies, of Christ our God. And unto thee we ascribe glory to the Father, wisdom everlasting, and all holy. Good life-giving spirit, now and ever to the ages of ages.
1: Amen. So just a word of introduction for today's study. Um,
0: we are more than halfway through the book now, and, you know, every book is a story. And we've tried to emphasize the fact that when we read Matthew, we're not just read the Bible and we'd imagine what it is to read the Bible. We're reading a book written as a, we've talked about it as a book of instruction, but every story has a beginning. It it progresses, it has plot, it has themes, it has characters, and then it moves towards the climax. So you're going to see how much time is given to Jesus before his arrest, uh, what we call the events of Passion Week or Holy Week, uh, leading to the crucifixion and then eventually the resurrection. So what I want you to start feeling is, you know, because we're not reading this straight through, we're not going to sit down and read Matthew 1 through 28. In fact, the fact that this is episode 65, this is a long time to go through the story. We want to go deeply here, of course, but I don't want us to miss the flow, which is in the whole book. So you're going to start to feel the pull of that climax. That's how story works. Once you get into it, the character is a little more firmly established, the themes are more obvious, then you get pulled towards the climax of the story. Uh, but I want you to start to feel that now as we're already, you know, as, as I said,
1: we're at the halfway point. So with that being said, any questions on that before we get into it?
0: All right, then I'm gonna ask someone to read. If you're online, we actually hear you well. If you're in the room here, we just need you to read nice and loud and clear. And James, would you do that for
2: us? It'll be my honor. Thank you. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the Mount and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled. When they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel.
1: Going to okay, 39, if all you
2: right. Know. Feeding the 4,000. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala.
0: Okay, so we've got two main sections here. We'll tackle them one at a time. Uh, when Jesus went on from there, where was the there?
1: I so want to page back and see where he's coming from. Remember, it was the conversation with the Canaanite woman. Tyre and Sidon. Yeah, I any mean, you know where that is. Charlie, where's Tyre and Sidon? Yeah, southern part of Lebanon.
0: Yeah, currently, so, uh, not, I mean, it's still, you know, northern, I don't know if it's considered a Galilee or not, but it's really by the Mediterranean, those are, I think, both um, seaside cities of the Mediterranean, Uh, so he passes on from there, and then he goes to the Sea of Galilee, Um, and this is one of the times, you don't see this very often in the scriptures, where Jesus is talking about as having healed many people from the crowds, generally we're going to hear about the interaction with a certain person, last uh, past Sunday it was, you know, the paralytic brought in with the friends. they cut the roof open, and there's conversation. and typically the conversation is about about faith. in that sense, in that instance, it was the faith of not just the man but the four friends that brought him. This one is one of those times where it's really focusing on the crowds, and it appears that he heals, if not, all of them, many of them, it says they brought him the lame, the maimed, the blind, the numb, and many others, he put them at his feet and he healed them. So, the fact that this is part of, this is not in the majority of healings, this is the minority, when we hear that he's healing lots and lots of people, doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen, but it means that Matthew is not emphasizing these too often. There are those times he's going to be seen as healing lots of people generally what matthew's going to focus on is the interaction with a particular person um
1: and what was the result of all that healing the people glorified god yeah so
0: again we we have to learn from the scripture not impose on the scripture if we impose on the scripture say Jesus healed because he came to heal people. Well, the scripture isn't supporting that. At least it's telling us that the result that Matthew found significant is to say they saw all these things and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, again, when we talk about the whole arc of the story, um, who Jesus is glorifying is going to become an issue or, or who he's leading people to glorify is going to become an issue. As the story progresses, um, the religious leaders of the religion of the God of Israel are going to be the ones that are going to come after him. or well, they've already been coming, but they're going to come
3: even harder. Hey, Father, they, they, said, been- they said they were marveled. Um, had they not heard the story that he had been healing or um, did they doubt it and this, they saw it firsthand and that's why they were marveled? That's
0: a
1: great question. So why did they come? Look at verse 30. Why were they? Why were the crowds coming? They brought the lame, the
2: blind, the lame, and many others.
1: Yeah. So the crowds are
0: coming, at least in significant purpose, because of the healings, because they're bringing all these people. So they had heard it, but you're bringing up a very important point. Even though they had heard it, what changes?
4: They're actually witnessing it.
0: Yeah. And when they witness it, it's different than hearing about it. Okay. Now, is it bad that they didn't believe as strongly and then they marvel and they saw it? No. They believed enough to bring people. Think about this. You're not talking about loading somebody in the back of a car calling an ambulance. If you have a relative or a friend who is maimed, you're carrying them in one way, shape, or form. So there's enough faith to say, well, let's go out to the desert. And go out to where um, Jesus is. But it's a good point, especially as we get into the next section, that even though they had heard about it, they marveled when they saw it. And their marveling brought them to glorify the God of Israel. So according to Matthew, there's no conflict between, um, I would say, the religion of the people of Israel and Jesus. He's not discouraging them. That's their natural response to seeing what he's doing. They're seeing the connection.
3: It's interesting. We're having this discussion this Sunday after the um this I call pallet Sunday, where you the payout. would get up his palate, rise from your palate, put down your palate. So um <laughs> the healing, I don't remember which uh was that Matthew, Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I, That's I don't who remember. Mark,
1: I think it was Mark. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think we've been, it's been a
0: long time. Mark is often seen by some scholars as the earlier version of what Matthew and Luke are both gonna pull from. There's a lot of continuity between them. And if you look at the sort of what looks to be the original, it looks like Mark was earlier Matthew and Luke came later, and that they both borrowed from Mark,
1: in many cases, word for word. uh, That statement
3: that says glorified, they glorified the God of Israel. Does that mean these people that were healed and the people that brought them have accepted Jesus as the Son of God?
1: Not yet.
0: So they're obviously seeing a the connection. They're, they're not seeing whoever they're seeing Jesus had, It's not pulling them away from their faith. Now, what we don't know is, are these all Jews? Mm. Because remember, this is Galilee, um, known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And it was one of those areas, and still is one of those areas, where people of different backgrounds, religious and ethnic, tended to live together, not always in the same village. But at least in neighboring villages, some villages, they did live together. Um, Not that Antioch is, is included in this area, but, you know, with all the devastation that Antioch has gone under, one of the things that keeps coming out is Antioch was one of those rare places that people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds did live together side by side. It was not so much a separate village or even, in some cases, separate neighborhoods. If you, if you read the interviews of the people that, that uh, were residents in Antioch, they say this is one of those places where we all knew each other. We all got along, which is one of the tragedies of, of the destruction of Antioch
1: um, in this
0: latest earthquake. It's happened before many times through history, but it's happened again there. Um, so, yeah, we don't know how many of these people are Jews and how many are non-Jews that are now glorifying the God of Israel. But Jesus' ministry is bringing them towards that God the one that we know is His Father.
1: That
4: is a foretelling or a foreshadowing of the Antiochian Orthodox Church and how we, you know are bringing people together from all different nationalities and religious backgrounds who find our church.
0: Yeah, that's a good place, is it? because that's that's been happening since the beginning. Um, the Christians, first of all, Christians in Antioch and why that was significant? One reason why that was significant was, obviously, in Jerusalem you're dealing with almost all Jews. Yes, there were the occasional Roman soldier, centurion, a few others, but is you know Jerusalem is practically purely. at the time it was practically purely Jewish. Um, Galilee and then uh, Antioch were not. Antioch was, I think, the third largest city in the Roman Empire.
1: Mm-hmm. And very
0: broad base in terms of people of ethnic background and religion. It was, you know, we think of it as, you know, our spiritual homeland of of our of our patriarchate. But before it was that, it was a very important Roman city. Mm-hmm. Kathy, you were going to say something.
1: Um, yeah, I, I don't. It, it's very likely not an accident that this story is placed immediately after the daughter of the Canaanite woman is healed. Yeah she could have told all her friends right yeah yeah Yeah. right i wanted
4: to say something too about the the comment regarding marveling you know i think even us today um with all the history of 2000 years that we have before us and of course those at the time of jesus you know had the old testament but um I don't think you ever stop marveling at miracles, no matter how many times you, you see them, witness them, hear about them. It, says never, it never gets old.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Although, as um, I think it was Rob that pointed out, it's one thing to hear about them and one thing to see them.
1: You yeah. know?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's going to come into play in this next section, because um, we tend... T- at least liturgically, we hear this next section on one Sunday, and on a very different Sunday, we hear the one that we heard, I think it was from chapter 14, the feet of the 5,000.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So remember, that that's already happened. We, we studied that, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago. So listen to this next section, or well, we've already listened to it, but we'll look at it again. In reference to the fact that the feeding 5,000 didn't happen all that long ago. Right. Okay. So that's already happened. Then we had um, in, let's flip back here. We had, you know, Peter walking on the water um, pretty much right after that. And then you had in 15, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees coming to, to, you know, criticize Jesus. You had the comments about what defiles a man going in the mouth, coming out of the mouth. You had the uh, Canaanite woman. And then this passage that we're reading now. So let's move ahead, uh, starting in 32. Um, he had been passed on that the great crowds came. And now Jesus calls the disciples, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been only three days, nothing to eat. I'm unwilling to away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And what is strange about the disciples' response?
4: They already did it.
1: Yeah.
4: In Matthew 14, how short are memories? And also, were any of those disciples at the marriage of Cana? Right. They can see what God can do with food.
3: You know? Why is is this reference, um, why is the 5,000, why do we refer to the 5,000? much more than we do this 4,000. It's kind of like it's tucked in the back of the Bible and we don't really reference it very often.
0: Yeah, uh, we do hear it once a year um, liturgically. But yeah, you're right. The feet of the 5,000 is much more sort of well-known. This one is not as
1: well-known. Um,
2: I think it's because it's like the first time something was done. You always remember the first time Yeah. more than you do... Succeeding times carries more yeah. significance.
0: Yeah. So yeah, the disciples again. I want us to always get the story from the story, not from our version of the story. Our version of the story is the disciples are great; they're so faithful. <laughs> and everything wrong. Matthew is painting a very different picture. They've already had the feeding of the five thousand, which, if you remember, how Jesus did it. They were the means to distribute the food, right? Mm-hmm. They asked, bring me the food. He blessed the food. He multiplies the food, and they give it out. So literally, from their hands to people's hands and their mouths, 5,000 men plus women and children get fed. Yeah. And here they are, not too much time later, and the disciples, where are we going to get bread up the desert to feed so great a crowd?
1: But they don't
4: sound as, in the previous one, they sounded really like, you know, Get rid of them, and they sound a little bit nicer. They're they're a, they're a, a little bit nicer. A little
0: bit like, yeah, yeah. They're just saying like, how can you say? They're not saying how can you say that? No, you know, it's,
4: unless that's what he meant. To, he meant to write it that way, or maybe they're 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 getting a little glimpse of what's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah I'd say they're growing, but they're not there yet. <laughs> Where are we going to get the food? You know, they couldn't know that that answer. So Jesus said, and how many loaves have you? Seven and a few small fish. so let's let's look at the the similarities and the differences because always whenever we compare and contrast, it's a good way of getting information. <coughs> Excuse me, what's the what are the similarities between this feeding and the other feeding? Well, both bread and
1: fish And a little bit more at this. Yeah, but I mean nope. that's the similarities is bread and fish yeah same food yeah
0: uh, in a place where you can't get food right just concerned about that i'm not having anything to eat now think about this he's been with them three days
1: yeah
0: you know we we, we again we hear these these <clears throat> sections out of context um we know that for three days what's he been doing healing now was he also preaching we don't know um but you know, There are a few of us that have spent three days doing any one thing <laughs> in the same place, right? They've been there three days watching all this and not having a thing to eat. For us, they ate what they brought with them, and that
1: was it. Any other similarities? There were leftover baskets of uh, yeah. pieces. That's yeah. What? So yeah, same food. Same manner. Um, same, same question from the disciples. Yeah. Where do we get food? Right.
3: But the disciples wanted, and, and the 5,000, <laughs> excuse me, oh, disciples wanted to uh, send them home
1: or have them disperse. Right
0: yeah this time they're not asking they're just he's they're asking where are we to get the food he's not saying send them away and the process is the same right he breaks the bread breaks the food well takes it gives thanks then he breaks it and gives the disciples the disciples gave them the crowds
1: mm-hmm. precursor of communion yeah yeah the breaking of the bread yeah And there were leftovers. Yeah. Sounds right. like a church supper to me.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I know, huh? We feed a multitude. There's still leftovers. All right. What they, are the? They were all
3: filled. They they were full. Yeah. They're
0: they're, they're they're full, and there were leftovers. They took up the baskets of the broken pieces. Yeah. So what are the differences? I want
4: to point out another similarity. They only counted the men. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that would have been common at that time.
4: Do
2: they get to eat first?
1: Oh, yeah. Some of that still happens. (laughs) Think about it.
0: You know, family gets together and typically it's (laughs) right or wrong. It's
1: the way it is, typically still. All right, so what are are the differences? I'll give you a hint, it's numbers. Three days? What, else, what, what is it? Three days. The other one was not designated a three day event, it was a day event, right? I don't know what the other one said. I don't remember.
4: Sermon on the Mount. Oh no, that I was after no, no. that. Yeah. Let's see. It's 1413, 14, 14, feeding the 5,000.
3: Was it a three day event or was the disciples, were the disciples not eating for three days? Yeah, and in the first
0: one, it says the day is over. It's the only place the day is now over. Send the crowds away to to the village and buy food for themselves. It doesn't say that they were with them for several days. Right. Right. But the same problem.
4: Number of loaves of bread were a little bit more. And number of fish a little bit more. And he still had an abundant amount left.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, Which, so in the first one, what are the numbers we hear? How many loaves, how many baskets I, full?
4: Five loaves
1: yep. and, and two, two fish. fish.
4: Okay.
0: Yep. So, is, do the numbers five and 12 ring any bells for anybody in biblical language?
1: Five and two, you mean?
0: Five, well, five baskets, five bread. Yeah, I guess you could use the two also. But five, two, and twelve. Well, 12,
3: um, 12, twelve disciples and twelve tribes of Israel, I guess.
0: Yeah. So you've got the twelve, first the twelve tribes, and you have the twelve uh, apostles, which the new Israel.
1: Okay. So Israel is,
0: is the theme. <laughs> Excuse me, the, the twelve. Did we use the five and for communion. We, we
1: use, sort of five. So use the five.
4: Excuse
1: me. So what's five? Yes. Yeah. And we they use. use. So in the first feeding,
0: five loaves, twelve baskets. Okay. What's five in the Bible? What do you hear about five?
1: Five books of Moses. Right.
0: Yes. The five books of the law, five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, which we've also said in Matthew, some scholars see the five new books with five long discourses of Jesus teaching, the Sermon on the Mount being the first of the five. So five is a uh, Israelite Hebrew Old Testament number for the law, and twelve also relates to that. Um, those of us that study Revelation, now we've got seven and seven. What's seven in Revelation, or in the Bible in general? But Revelation has a lot of references to it.
1: Seven bowls.
0: Yeah. Remember the seven bowls, the seven seals, seven lampstands. Lampstand, uh, yes, seven lampstands. Correct. So seven is there's a couple ways of looking at it. Seven is a complete number on its own, right? Seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a number of com- com- completeness, but we've also seen that in the Bible, and you get this a lot in Revelation. You can break the seven down into three and four. Now, we think of three as, well, it's the three because it's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but as we're seeing in Matthew already, we're going to see it towards the end, three is its own number of completeness uh, with that sense of ready, set, go. I've told you once, I've told you twice, I've told you three times. There's a completeness in three that two doesn't always give you. and that of course to understand the Trinity, three is a it's a, it's a number of completeness, but of a not a natural completeness. We can call it a supernatural completeness, a divine completeness. Four is a more natural created um completeness. How
1: do you when do we hear about four in the natural world? So, some things I could think about, Tabayan, the four winds, the four directional
0: points on a compass,
4: four seasons. Four yeah. seasons,
0: good. Um, four. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with your goal. Four. Um, There's one more I was thinking of. Um, oh, the four ancient elements that, that everything is made out of fire, wind, earth and water. water so in the ancient world that's what they saw that everything was made out of one of those four things or a combination of them. so you add that two together and you get a created completeness but it's more universal let's say than the 12 the 12 is the community and we see this in revelation you've got the old testament 12 you got a new testament 12 together it's 24 it's the community. It's not necessarily the the whole created order. It's the, it's the gathered community around the throne. Um, but seven is that universal, whether you're in the community or not, there's seven days a week. Yeah. The completeness, divine completeness, plus the created completeness, you're part of all of that. And the fact that this is again in, in Galilee, um, Galilee of the Gentiles. So those are just ideas. They may, it may just be that may have nothing to do with it, or it may just be the number that they
1: had, or there may be symbolism um, built into the story there. Father? Yeah. Um, just a quick question. You don't have to elaborate long,
4: but it's numerology. You know, for some people that is a religion. Um, yeah. Can you give us just a brief explanation of, you know, like what our faith says about numbers and wh- how it relates, I guess.
1: So numbers always have meaning.
0: Um, and the meaning tends to connect across references. Okay, so if I tell you that the number three for us obviously represents the Trinity. Yeah. And we do like all kind of things in threes. Is it just because of the Trinity, or is there something about three that is even uh, extends out from the the triune unity of the person of the Trinity? And I mentioned that ready, set, go. Um, I don't think it's, it's, nothing is insignificant in the Bible. So if it says to us, um, they've been with us now three days. Right, every word is going to be significant. We don't always know exactly, but it can hearken to something. Where have we heard three days?
1: Yeah,
4: oh, and the whale, Jonah and the whale, of course, Jesus, you know, crucifixion and resurrection. Yeah,
0: so let's look at those as individual examples. It helps us get the idea of where we get the, the power and the number. In Jonah, what happens on day one?
4: He's swallowed up, right? They throw him overboard and he's swallowed up.
0: There you go. So he enters into his burial, into his entombment, his being captured, however you want to characterize it. Day two, all we know is he's waiting, but there's some kind of journey going on because by day three, he's going to get spit out on the shore. So day two is an in-between day. It's It's a day of often silence and quietness because it's between 1 and 3, and we don't often know what's going on. It's sometimes a hidden day. Day 3, we know what happens. Typically, it's a day that whatever problem day 1 brought us, day 3 brings us out of it.
1: Uh-huh. So in
0: Jonah, he goes into the whale well on day 1. We don't know what happens on day 2. On day 3, he gets spit out. In Jesus, he dies on day 1. We talk a lot about how much we don't talk in Holy Saturday. Little mortal flesh keep silent and ponder nothing earthly minded. Holy Sabbath, quiet, the day of in between. The day that's paradoxically the day of rest, it's the Holy Sabbath. It's also the day that Christ is harrowing the, the, the realm of, of Hades, of the dead. Yeah. And then, resolved on day three, the day of, of the resurrection. So, you can see where, even though the number is used in different contexts, there is a connection. I would even say and this can be it's close to stretching, but I don't think it's too far a to stretch. The divine trinity gets expressed in created known expressions. In other words, there's a connection to the divinity of the trinity and God's provision, both for Jonah and for Christ uh, in his three days in the tomb. And in this case,
1: for the crowds. Right. Why is Jesus feeding them on day three? Doesn't want them to go away hungry? Yeah, lest they faint on the way. Right? You get hungry, you faint.
0: What do we do at church? So faint. get the orange juice, get the water, you know, they need to be revived. Right. And without that, it can be dangerous depending on somebody's condition. So in many ways, this is a life and death situation. Hmm. If they go away and they faint on the way, that, that could be a, a fatal result. So it's it's a life giving act. Does that help, Susie?
4: Yeah, it does, Father. Um, thank you for that. I just I just think that I've heard or read, you I know, talk, when I say you. numerology is like a religion for some people, it's like they place news, so Susie? much emphasis
1: on the numbers,
4: on the numbers that um, I don't know I'm if
1: they're searching you.
4: for meaning. Are they no That's in there?
1: We're there.
4: Can you not hear me?
1: You guys hear Susie? Yeah.
4: We're here.
1: Alan, can you hear us? Okay. Can you hear
3: Susie?
4: Can you hear us?
3: It sounds like two I people know. are speaking. It sounds like two hear. people are speaking when Susie's speaking. Huh. I mean, we can't hear anybody.
1: Alan, can we hear you say something? I can hear everybody. No, we can't hear anybody. What I can I, hear I, I everybody, can... but. <laughs> I can hear Susie. So Charlie, can you say something? Yeah, I am I can hear you no, guys. Lost everybody. That's weird. Huh. They yes, we can
0: hear everybody. I
2: don't know what happened. Yeah, try to just a second. This will be your third try. I know, huh? <laughs> this is our <laughs> third try. <laughs> <laughs> you hear us Father? Nobody.
1: Did we get muted over here. Hang on just a second. All right. <laughs> so where
0: were we? Oh, I was asking Susie. Did that help uh explain things on the three? Yes, father.
4: Thank you.
1: Okay, very good. All right. Um uh-uh. Let's, uh, we got a few minutes left, let's hear some quotes about this passage, let's go back to the part in um, the healings. I'm going to read you something, we don't, I don't quote you a lot from Origen, Origen was a very
0: prolific writer in the early church, ends up being condemned for heresy because he tended to take things too symbolically in some ways some things he took too literally. Um, but some, once in a while, it's just, it's good to, uh,
1: to hear these other voices. Um, there we go. This is about uh, Jesus and,
0: and the healing. Some who do not draw near to the feet of Jesus are not healed, but those who are brought by the multitude and cast at his feet are being healed. Even those who come only to the edges. Just the extremities of the body of Christ, who feel themselves unworthy to obtain such things, are being healed. So now you come into the congregation of what is more commonly called the church. See the catechumens? They are, as it were, cast in the far or back of those who are the extreme end of the body, as if they were coming merely to the feet of the body of Jesus, the church. They are coming to it with their own deafness and blindness and lameness, and crookedness in time they will be cured according to the word observing this you would not be wrong in saying that these people who have gone up with the multitudes into the church up to the mountain where jesus sits and have been cast at his feet are being healed and so the multitudes are astonished beholding the transformations that are taking place they behold those who are being converted from such great evils to that which
1: is so much better Anything surprise you about hearing about catechumens? (laughs) Yeah, this is not a new practice we have. Um, We are not as
0: used to as many periods of history at having catechumens coming in great numbers. I think that's changing now. I think we're going to see something as much more normal in the life of the church when you see catechumens coming in. And you notice what what Origen says is the result of the catechumens coming in? Did anybody catch the connection? What do they do for us in the church?
1: We marvel, marvel at their
3: conversion.
0: Yeah. And I think we, we could all say that that's affected, I think, everybody here at St. Nicholas um, throughout our history. But really, in these recent years, we see more of them coming in greater numbers. And that's really an inherent part of Great Lent that we haven't always experienced. Right? Uh, how many times have we heard catechumens depart, and then we don't even have any catechumens, let alone, we don't ask them to actually leave anymore, but we, you know, we never had as many, or rarely did we have catechumens during those times. So there's a part of our Lenten journey that is watching the catechumens go through their progress, which is inherent to, uh, to our own, to our own faith. I'm going to read you something about, this from St. John Chrysostom, about the connection to the, uh, the Canaanite woman. Yeah. Great was the marvel and strange to see them that were carried walking, the blind having no need for any to lead them by the hand. Yes, both the multitude the healed and their rapid cure amazed them. Remember how long Jesus had delayed healing a Canaanite woman? But now he heals these immediately. This is not because these are better than she. Indeed, she was more faithful than they. In her case, he defers and delays in order to manifest her constancy. In the case of these, he bestows the gift immediately to shut the mouths of unbelievers and cut away from them every excuse. For the greater the favors one has received, so much the more one is held accountable and liable if unresponsive. This is why we see the rich turning more wicked and being more severely punished than the poor. Why? They have not been softened even by their prosperity. So again, you could see how faith is the key issue in these healings. And when Jesus does what he does, it's not in reference to their physical health, it's in reference to their faith. And you can also see where the danger is if you are shown a miracle, now there's more expected of you because of that.
1: Father, back to the catechumens. Yeah. Um
3: when you have a group you you bring them in front of the church but not on a regular basis um why So we could the reason we don't is that in
0: our practice in the Antiochian archdiocese we typically don't pray out loud the litany of the catechumens so if we did a more complete form of the liturgy right after the homily um, there are three litanies. One is a litany for the catechumens and two of the faithful. All you hear from that in the, in the congregation is after the homily, the priest goes in and the deacon says, help us, save us, have mercy on us. That's actually the end of the third of those litanies. But if we did the liturgy as a, in a entirety, we would do before those two litanies of the faithful. There's a litany of the catechumens. You do hear it in the pre-sanctified. We haven't edited it out of that. So that's where you hear the litany of the catechumens. In fact, next week, in the fourth week of Lent, we add one more, not just for the catechumens, those about to be illumined, meaning the catechumens that are coming into the church in the coming cycle of Holy Week, whether it's Lazarus Saturday or Holy, or Holy Saturday. At some point, I would like to do it, as, as much as some people think I have no consideration for people's attention spans I actually have more than they might imagine. And that's the only reason we don't do it. Is Father, yeah, St.
3: Yeah. Paul, uh, Father Paul Gerges, he does it right after I believe the great entrance and they all come forward and he says about a 60 second prayer. Yeah. then they all depart back to their chairs.
0: Yeah, I like that practice. At some point, when I instituted, Alan, you're going, to, you're going to support me in saying you've seen it done successfully somewhere else. <laughs> and it didn't kill anybody now when you've been in church.
3: <laughs> you, I think you just have to cut someplace
1: else.
3: <laughs> it's time <laughs> neutral.
1: Now,
4: Father and Alan, in the Catholic Church, they call up the catechumens before communion and they bless them and they do depart for instruction. And then they're brought back, I think maybe. I don't know if they come back. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I also like that practice. We've we've actually been building up to um, last year for the first time we had coffee with, and it was during coffee hour, but we had the catechumens meet with different parishioners to talk about aspects of parish life, not necessarily theological, but practical and you know what's community life. So they sat with uh, uh, Dan Abraham. He talked about, I think he talked about uh, administration and the order and things like that. Uh, Keith talked about the various ministries of the church. I think they met with Roger. So if we had a full, if we had somewhere to send them, I wouldn't mind dismissing it. They would actually leave right after the homily. So they get the fullness what we call the liturgy of the word. They get the scripture readings, the initial prayers, Um, they get the homily, and then they're sent out. Why? Because they're not going to participate in communion. And pretty much from that point on, it's all leading up to communion. You know, we're going to have the litany. We're going to have the great entrance, bring the gifts in. We're going to ask God to bless the gifts, receive the gifts. So there's really not anything they're missing in that sense. But we're not there yet in terms of having somewhere to dismiss them. And to send them home, to me, is kind of a waste. You know, they not that they can't gain from the liturgy
4: the chapel <laughs> it's a beautiful yeah. place you know but yeah. i think too even though our services always said "catechumens uh, depart yeah. depart catechumens i think it makes them long for the eucharist when they see all that preparation father and then they see all the faithful approach the chalice i think it makes them long for it themselves mm.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think in the modern times, that's how we tend to think. The ancients had a very different view of catechumenate. Um, You were given preparation that led you to Christianity, but you weren't given much Christian doctrine, which is why, by the way, when you go to a presanctified liturgy or any Lenten service during the week, if there's a scripture reading, it's coming from uh, Isaiah. We read Isaiah during the sixth hour, if we have the sixth hour, and then during Vespers or the Presanctified Liturgy, which is sort of an expanded Vespers, uh, you have uh, Genesis and Proverbs. Why is that? Because that's what the catechumens were being taught from, and it wasn't until after their baptism and chrismation that they were given access to, one, see Holy Communion happen, and then given their Christian under under, uh, education. So their, their thought, it was just a different way of thinking, it was a different time, was you can't understand it from the outside. So our thinking as a church has shifted over time on that. Most of what we know now is the ancient catechisms, they weren't given until they were brought into the church. And then they were taught all the things that we think of
1: now as preparation. Um, sacraments and the spiritual life and, and all those things. Let me read you one more quick quote I don't know we're going over we kind of start a little late let's
0: uh I want to hear one I want you to hear one more in on the seven baskets they brought forward seven loaves of bread the Gentiles received no salvation from the law and the prophets however they live because of the grace of the spirit whose sevenfold light is noted by Isaiah as a gift and that's a reference those who want to look it up it's Isaiah chapter 30 verse 26. Therefore, through faith in the Spirit, the Gentiles receive salvation. They recline on the ground, for they were not subject to any works of the law or the flesh, but were called in their earthly condition to the Spirit of the sevenfold light. The indefinite number of fish signifies the variety and dispensing of gifts and charisma by which the diversity of graces satisfied the faith of the Gentiles. Moreover, the fact that seven baskets are filled indicates the overflowing and multiplied abundance of the Spirit of sevenfold light. What he generously gives abounds. Having been satisfied, the gift becomes even more richly endowed and full. The fact that 4,000 men are gathered together refers to a multitude of countless people from the four corners of the earth. In terms of the future, a calculated number of people are satisfied in as many thousands of places as there are thousands of believers who hasten to receive the gift of heavenly food. Having been fully fed, the crowd is dismissed. And since our Lord remains with us all the days of our life, a great number of Gentiles, Gentile believers
1: go on to board the ship, namely the church. So beautiful uh, expression of the blessings of God going out to everybody.
0: So on that, we'll draw to a close and God willing, we'll be together next week. Thank by the way, you. if anyone wants to go back and catch up, you can now search. If you go on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and you search uh, deep dives into the Bible, uh, you'll find us there. You can catch up on previous meetings. Wait,
1: okay. not on the website, it's not on the church website. We will have we'll
0: have it on there soon. We just got it all approved by Apple and Google. But if you go on either of those podcast What's it called, platforms, again? deep dives into the Bible.
3: I like to find out what kind of fish they're serving too. What's <laughs> is it? Tilapia. Well, yes. <laughs> they actually
0: they call it Saint Peter's fish. When you go to Galilee, you can go and have what they call Saint Peter's fish. It's actually really good, and uh, you might all be excited to know we have a, a few parishioners beginning plans for a trip to the Holy Land. Oh, wow! Plans are are beginning. Maybe 2024. We'll see.
3: Awesome.
0: So added to that fish.
1: Committee.
3: What's that? Linda, a Linda how's Elaine feeling?
1: Um, she's
4: about the same, Alan. Her her face is puffy on the one side and her eye and her mouth are droopy on the other. And she's really tired. So keep her in your prayers. Yeah, give she's her well. Discouraged, I think.
0: Aww.
1: Give her our best. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Thank Bye. you, Father. Thank you. Bye.